Good morning, Uni Hill. I hope that uh, you are enjoying catching up with family once again. How good is it to be able to go into other people's homes? And I know that there's a lot of that happening this morning. And thank you for wanting to be in community together. Uh, this won't last long. Uh, we are striving to uh, regather in the church as soon as possible. And I believe that's going to happen towards the end of this month. Uh, we'll be communicating as often as possible and uh, cannot wait to see us all together in uh, one building. And maybe a process and a journey of getting there. I don't quite know what that looks like. Our goal is to keep everybody as safe as possible and always be striving for unity and everybody together. So I look forward to that coming, but stay tuned as more details emerge. We're going to know more towards the end of the month, uh, but in the meantime, don't waste time. Connect with people, watch the service together, uh, and let's uh, be a community. We get to serve Jesus Christ together. I'm going to be preaching today, just a short message. Uh, we've got a couple of videos uh, that will also be cut into this message of great leaders from our church in regards to the subject, generational ownership. And what I mean by that statement is that I believe every generation is important. I believe that every generation still needs to play a role in the future of our church because I believe that every generation has a particular flavor, a particular anointing that God still needs to use, and we do influence one another for the better. We're family, uh, whether you're the youngest in this community or the oldest in this community, we are family and we can learn from one another. Generations do have an influence. Think about my dad. Uh, a great example is this. My dad is an Essendon football club member and fan. He's not a member actually, he's a big fan. Now myself and my brother, the next generation down, because of his influence, we're also big Essendon people. And then you go down to my son because of my influence, he's also a big Essendon man. Now what's happened there is that's been generational influence, but it can go uh, cross-generational, but can also affect the same generation. If you are so passionate about something, what happens is you end up influencing the community around you. I know there's young guys in our church that love soccer. Now they've got a soccer team. And when they get together, they play soccer, they exercise, they talk about it, they watch it. They're influencing their generation. Generational ownership is important because we all need to own this thing. Uh, we've been given a mission from Jesus Christ to go into the world, to preach the gospel, to make disciples, to see them baptized. And we do it better when we do it together. Every person playing their role and understanding their season. So I know that one of the reasons I'm passionate about Jesus had an itchy ear is because of my father. My dad, I saw over many years, uh, passionately pursued Jesus. I remember him telling me stories when he first got saved, which was just before I was born, so over 35 years ago. He used to chase paper down the street. That would look so weird to me, but he'd be chasing this paper because it would blow by, and by the time it was out of reach from him, he'd feel like, oh, has God got a message on that piece of paper for me? He'd run after it. Now, last week, I catch up with him. He brings me into his study. He's bought this new Bible. 
On one side is a word-for-word translation, on the other side is a thought-for-thought translation. And he still opens the Bible with the same passion. Oh, I wonder what God is going to say to me through his word. As he looks at the word, he's even bought a particular thing to put the Bible up on so we can read it easier. So passionate about hearing from God. Do you know what that did for me? I got home and all of a sudden I was like, man, I can't wait to open up my Bible. God, what have you got for me today? What do you want to say to me today through your word? You see, one generation had influenced another. I know that my dad has directly affected me in regards to my passion for Jesus. I saw dad serve as a senior pastor. And even when people were rude and people were people, he still loved the church. He still loved Jesus. He loved serving him. I remember when he was leading a church and I was in the band. It was so bad, I looked out at dad and he had both his fingers in his ears in the front row. What what great encouragement. The music was that bad that he had to block his ears. But at the same time, his passion never waned. And and now because of that, I, I feel the same. I love Jesus just as much. I want to serve him with my life just as much. I pondered this thought. If your children or the generations that followed you or the generations that you influence, if they followed Jesus with the same passion you do right now, would that be something you'd be proud of? Would that be something Christ would want or not? I want to display to my kids I love Jesus more than anything else. I want to show the generation above me my passion, below me my passion. But every generation, if we could do this together, it would model to the community the goodness of God. What heaven is supposed to look like. Every generation working together on one mission to see the name of Jesus be made famous. It is an amazing thing. When each generation, I want to see the elderly in our church inspire me with your faithfulness over a long period of time. We need to see that in you. We need to see that you can keep going even when it's hard. You know, generations that are developing careers or raising families, how to continue to pursue Jesus even when parenting isn't at an easy stage or your career is taking off and requiring a lot of you. The younger generation, what it is to serve when you have a lot of energy and not a lot of income what it is to serve when you've got a lot to learn, how you learn to submit before you can lead every generation working together to serve Jesus and every generation releasing every generation to the call of God and championing them. I thank you, Father, for those that work in the Freedom Fellowship ministry and continue to serve faithfully to those. Thank you that serve the kids ministry and the Rev Youth ministry because the next generation is being risen up because of what you are doing. And that inspires me to serve God where I'm at more and more, to see you inspired by an encounter with God to continue to strive to make the name of Jesus famous. We need every generation. We need us all to own this thing because we got one opportunity in this life to make an impact that lasts for eternity and I don't want to waste it. I want everybody off the bench, every generation having a part to play and it will be a fantastic day.
So we're going to listen now to uh, two wonderful leaders in our church, Nina Mann, one of our leaders in the East, uh, Clarissa Valentine, one of the elders and leads in the North. Uh, from two different perspectives, Nina is going to be talking about why generational ownership is vital and is important. And then Clarissa is going to give a specific example. Uh, why I asked Clarissa is I saw her uh, have twins after being bedridden raised them in the house of God and never once did she miss a week unless they were on holiday. She was there week in, week out, serving the church, owning what it is to be a part of it uh, in a difficult season when you're tired and it's hard. Uh, and every generation really does have its own challenges, whether it be tiredness, whether it be busyness, whether it be study, there's always going to be a challenge in every season. Uh, I've asked Clarissa to represent just one of them. Uh, so please watch these videos. There'll be one after the other. And then I will return with three principles that I believe will encourage us in our faith today. Hi, my name's Nina and I'm from the East Campus. I've been asked to share a thought about generational ownership. There are hundreds of scriptures about ownership in the Bible. And we only have to look at the first chapters of the Old Testament and the New Testament to know that God thinks in terms of generations. In, Gen in Genesis, God created the world for the generations to come. The whole point of creation is family. The very first chapter in the New Testament is about the genealogy of Jesus. And I guess these things just show us that God thinks in terms of generations and the concept of generations is of utmost importance to him and therefore it should be to us as well. When we think about generations, we think about age groups within a family. Having grown up in a somewhat less than ideal home environment, when I became a Christian, the one thing about above everything else that I was really determined to do was succeed in the area of family. I did learn along the way that I had many lacks and that God's grace came through for me a lot, many times. Certainly, being a mum, I've really enjoyed watching my children's successes, but I can't even begin to explain the pain of a mother's heart when things aren't really going well for your children. They're really part of your family and you feel really deeply for them. And being a mum means that you would do anything for your children to succeed, despite whatever that costs you. I think we need to think of the church in terms of God's family too. A family which is made up of generations, children, youth, young adults, older adults, and maybe even older adults. In the church, we've got different programs so that we can focus on the differing needs of each of those generations, and this is really good. However, if we look at those generations as separate parts of our church, then we lose the idea of family. The thing about generations is, is that they each come with their own culture. They're different. They have their own focuses, they have their own values and ways of doing things. If we focus on the differences of the generations, then our church will feel like it has separate parts. And this is actually disunity. However, if we recognise and we value each generation's differences, then we function as a church family. God's intended way, and in unity. I've been attending church for about over 30 years now. 
And one of the scriptures that's really kept me going in my faith is Galatians 6, 9. Never tire of doing what is right. The NTE Bible uses the word, don't lose your enthusiasm. I think there are challenges that different generations face. Children, they may rather stay at home and play. Teenagers, teenagers may feel so they're forced to come to church. I remember as a young parent um, wondering what was the point in coming to church sometimes when you just sat in a room to look after your child um, or you were feeding your baby while your husband was um, enjoying church um, when you're already feeling so tired. For an older person, um, you may, may feel like you've had your day at church and that you're not um, valued anymore. You may feel as though things have changed and things aren't running the way they used to in the good old days. Uh, or you might feel as though once upon a time you were asked to do things, but now all the younger people are doing those things. I guess if I'm being honest, I've had many struggles myself and definitely many moments where I've been cynical. But if I have to say something, I'll say stay the course, never tire from doing what is right. Um, the reason being that ownership of the church is a shared responsibility. When I think of the church, who the church belongs to, is it God's church? Of course it is. Is it the pastor's? Yes. Is it yours? Yes. Is it mine? If we, yes. If we answer yes to all of those questions, then we have a part to play in the church because it's a shared responsibility. So I just encourage you to stay the course. Um, recognise there are different generations and they are different, but if we function together and we value each other, um, then the church can work in unity and um, as God's functioning body. And I'll just end up with the verse, Galatians 6, 9, once again, never tire of doing good. Hi Uni Hill Church, my name is Clarissa Valentine and I'm a member of the North Campus and I've been asked to share a message uh, about church ownership and how it might affect my generation in particular. Um, and when I, I think of that, I think instantly of Deuteronomy 6, 6 to 7, uh, which says, you must commit yourself wholeheartedly to these commands I'm giving you today. Uh, remember them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you are on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Children are always watching us and we're always modelling to them. I remember those times when you hear something come out of your child's mouth and you think, oh, where did that come from? And then it dawns on you that maybe that was you. Um, yes, very convicting of what we let come out of our mouths. Uh, we can't say one thing and do something different. It's going to come across insincere and contradictory and will actually cause more dissension and animosity in the years to come. And one of the hardest seasons uh, to participate in church that I remember was when our twins were young, when they were toddlers, uh, even pre-toddlers. Uh, I remember many months walking away from church thinking, do I remember any part of that message this morning? Because I was so busy trying to keep our boys quiet and still in the service. 
Um, it was a season when spiritual growth was something we had to really fight hard to go after. And there were times when I wondered how long it would go on. Um, the easy thing would have been to stay at home and wait until the boys were through that stage and able to go back and go to kids' church maybe or be a little bit more reliable. But what would we be modelling to them if we did that? Seasons are just that. They come and they go and they change into the next one. And we persisted. We kept trying and slowly the boys moved into that next stage. Our goal, like Deuteronomy 6, is to commit ourselves wholeheartedly to our faith and to our church and to make that part of our life rather than an add-on. My hope for our children is that we choose, they choose to have a relationship with Jesus, not based on my faith or Chris's faith, uh, but because they love Jesus and they've invited him into their heart themselves. And the only way to do that, I think, is to immerse ourselves in scripture, to talk about them when we are home and on the road, going to bed, getting up. In other words, at all times. As followers of Christ, we are called to emulate Jesus the best way we can at all times by modeling this to our children. My personal message to parents in this stage would be push through. This season will pass and your children will have seen Christ in you. If you're not in this stage or well past this stage, I ask you to encourage young parents, come alongside and support them, love them and give them words of encouragement when you see an opportunity. We are all one body in Christ, performing different functions at different times. Bringing up godly children takes the entire body of Christ, not just the parents on their own. Hey, how good was that? Um, one thing that Clarissa said that uh, I've been pondering all week is let your children see Christ in you. I thought that was an incredible statement. Uh, and that's let every other generation and the generation you're a part of see Christ in you. I thought that's incredible. And I love Nina's thought. I actually uh, ended up building these principles out of uh, the initial thought that Nina had. You know, every generation is important and needs to not be separated but considered as family because generations are important to God. And she used the example in Genesis uh, at the beginning of the Bible where God talks about generations. And then she uses the beginning of the New Testament where God talks about the, the genealogy uh, of Christ, the, the lineage of Christ and I want to actually lean into that for a little moment. So I want to set up the context for you about a person named Rahab. Uh, she's mentioned uh, in Matthew. Uh, she's mentioned in uh, Matthew chapter 1 verse 5. Uh, but her story takes place in Joshua chapter 2. Now the context is this. She lives in Jericho which is about to be invaded by God's people. It is the promised land that God had promised uh, the Israelites. But Rahab is living in the walls of Jericho. She is a prostitute and uh, she is doing life. But somehow in its midst, and I'll, I'll explain it, she comes to faith in God. And what happens is one day there are two spies that are sent in by Joshua and they're spying out the land and the king of Jericho finds out so these two uh, spies are hiding for their life. And uh, really what's happening is Rahab aids and abeds them. She says, hey, come here. We're going to hide you in the roof. But listen, when, when your God does his thing, Yahweh, 
the Lord. That's a relational word. I want you to remember me and my family. And uh, in that moment, God does something special. That's in Joshua chapter 2. We're going to lean into that in a moment. So the first thing is is simply this. Uh, Here's one point that I think is important uh, that we need to remember. Is that the decisions that you make today, whether you like it or not, will have a generational impact. If we think about Rahab, she's mentioned in Matthew chapter 1 verse 5 in the lineage of Christ. She was a prostitute. She was objectified wrongly, abused wrongfully, used as a means to an end. But yet the decisions she was making in that situation, whether she was forced into prostitution or not, would have had a repercussion for generations to follow. You know, when you're caught in a cycle like that, it's very hard to break out of it without God intervening. But yet somehow, by a decision of faith, she broke that. And out of nowhere, what happened is she became a generational leader. And let me rephrase that. I've got to be honest with you. What happened is a mailman has just knocked at the door and uh, is now waiting for me to come out. So I will have to get that and I'll be back shortly. Church at home. How do you like that? Now what's happening is she's made a decision that will affect generations. The decisions that we make, whether you like it or not, are going to affect the decisions my father made affected my future. The decisions that you make today will affect future generations. So I want to encourage us. Can we, can we be like Rahab in this regard? The choices that she made lined herself up with the will of God for her life. We know that sovereignty was at play here. We know that God was at play here. But Rahab made a decision to align herself with the will and the purpose of God for her life. And that affected future generations in a mighty way for us. The principle is clear. Don't think that lukewarmness around the house of God won't ripple effect to your children. You know, there are statistics by the Barna Institute that strongly suggest that your passion or lack of for the house of God will be replicated in your children. I desperately want my children to see my passion for Christ. And because of that, I want to be like Rahab, where I make decisions based upon the fact that I know that I need to protect my family. I want them in the will and purpose of God for their life. So I strive to do that by any means possible. Your decisions will affect future generations. It's a principle. The second thing is this. Let your personal faith drive your decisions. Let your love for Jesus and your personal relationship with him be the reason why every generation in our church takes ownership. I know that Rahab came to faith. Now, there, there, are, there are different um, uh, theologians that comment that, you know, she may have found God and believed that he was God, but one of many. Uh, and we know that eventually she assimilated into Jewish culture in the future. And we know that obviously uh, she came to one and only faith in God. Uh, but one thing I do know is that in Hebrews chapter 11, 
It talks about Rahab that by faith. In fact, if I was to turn to it in my Bible uh, just quickly, I, w- I want to read you the scripture. Uh, we, we know here that it says this. It says, By faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with her people in her city who refused to obey God. For she had given friendly welcome to the spies. It says, by faith. She came to faith in God somehow. And because of that faith, it drove her to take ownership in a situation. She didn't have to aid and abed in those men. But because of the faith and the place that she had got to, she did it. Serving the house, taking ownership, it has to be about a personal relationship with Jesus. It can't be about what you do in the house. It can't be about the title that you may be given. It has to be and only be about pursuing the will of God and your love for Jesus Christ, a personal relationship through faith. So let your faith and your relationship with God drive your ownership for our place. And finally, I think what is incredible about this situation is that Rahab had faith because she knew what God had done and she had faith for what he will do. Do you know what ownership endurance is? Is remembering what God has done and knowing what he will do. In Joshua chapter 2, verse 10, it says this, For we have heard how the Lord made the dry path for you through the Red Sea. When you left Egypt, and we know of what you did to Sohon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. She says to them, I know what God has done. He redeemed you out of slavery from Egypt. He helped you destroy the Amorites. I know what God has done. I think often to take ownership, we need to remember what Jesus has done. He died on a cross for us. He gave up every comfort possible to endure ruthless pain in order to set us free from sin and to bring us into a relationship with God. That helps me remember why I endure, why I take ownership for his bride, the church that he died for and he loves because I remember what he did for me. Rahab had got to that place. I know what God has done. But she's amazing because she also had faith for what God will do. Because in verse 13, it says this, When Jericho is taken over, when Jericho is conquered, (laughs) it hasn't even happened yet. And she's all about when it happens. She had faith and understanding in what God had done, but now she had faith and understanding in what God will do. What he will do. I know what God will do in our lives. I just want to declare to you, we are going to have a significant season in the life of our church. There are too many people who have prophetic nature given by God that are believing that there is going to be a pouring in of salvation and baptism and people coming to know God, your passion being restored, your passion being stirred up in the house. I know what God is going to do in this season, but I also know what God is going to do in the fact he's created for me through faith citizenship in heaven and you know what else i know he'll do he'll return he is coming back so i remember what he has done on the cross that helps me endure 
but I know what he's going to do. He's coming back. He's created for me citizenship in heaven, but he's created for me a mission that we need to outwork. We have a mission from God to spread the gospel and the hope of Jesus Christ as far as we can take it. The three principles today are simple. Your decisions will affect the generations to follow. Your decisions have a generational impact. Number two, let your personal faith and relationship with Christ drive you to love his bride. And three, when you're tired and it's hard, how do you take ownership? Remember what God has done in your life, that finances he's provided, that job he's provided, that friendship he's restored, that brokenness he's healed. Remember what God has done. And then remember what he will do. Through Christ, he's given us victory. He's given us a mission. And we are part of the side that wins through faith in Jesus Christ. So Father, I pray for every person that's watching today. Help them, Lord, to own your house. To love what you love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you don't know what it is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that's vitally important to me. And in this season, you may be feeling lost. You may be feeling hurt and lonely or broken. God did not design us to feel that way. He designed us to have relationship with Him. And what we believe as a church and what the Bible says is the only way to get to the Father to have a relationship with God is through His Son. The Bible gives us a process. It's in Romans that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. So today I want to pray for you. If you want to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, let me pray for you. Father, I pray for whoever is watching today. And Lord, if they are watching and they don't know what it is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I pray, Father, that they would call on you in this moment. If that's you watching, all you need to say is, Jesus, I believe. Forgive me for the things I've done wrong. I want to live for you. And Father, I know your word says that those who call on the Lord will be saved. So Father, we thank you that journey begins now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you made that decision, I'd love for you to let us know. There is a contacts tab on our website or there is a link at the bottom of this YouTube clip. Uh, Either way, you click on that, let us know, and we'll have one of our team in contact with you very soon. God bless you. Can't wait to see you all in person very, very soon. Sorry about the um, post office interruption. I loved that. That is super random, and I'm sure that uh, that hasn't happened before uh, in a service you've been a part of. Uh, But look forward to seeing you soon. Stay in faith. Ready yourself. We're going to have an incredible season uh, towards the end of this year and we've all got to be involved.